Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. Uh, good. Lots of exciting things to come. Um, as I, uh, just as I prepare to share uh, today on our vision for the coming year, I'm going to open scripture. So if you'd like to open your Bible, if you've brought a Bible, you can use a fake Bible if you'd, if you'd like, a, a, an app, I think they call them. Uh, and we're going to be in Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 1. Going to be angry you opened up a Bible. There's only two verses. This is what we read from verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So seven years ago and two days, seven years and two days ago, the Hughes family drove our car from Marple. There we are. That is the very car journey uh, from Marple, where my parents were then, li- then living, now in Woolerton, uh, all the way to Nottingham with the intention of planting the church that was to become known Trinity Church Nottingham. In case you didn't know, you've been dragged here. Uh, that's this church. That's us. That's who we are. We began meeting fairly soon after that, uh, as in the week after that, in our home, in our front room. We did a variety of things. We had no idea what we were doing, and so it seemed like a good idea to open the book of Acts to see some other people who didn't know what they were doing, and to see if we could emulate their feats. Uh, We've tried our very best. Uh, Since we shared meals together, we gathered to worship, we invited children and families into our home right from the beginning, and after we thought, um, as soon as we thought we could, we, we started to meet actually here in this space. Uh, This had been purchased. There's a long story around that, uh, which I won't share this morning. It's hugely exciting and encouraging, so come to a welcome meal if you want to hear that. And we started to worship and wait. The whole idea was that when you plant a church, you're supposed to have a strategy, but we we forgot to do that, Uh, principally because we weren't actually supposed to be leading this church at all. We were supposed to be supporting a couple that were, but they pulled out, and we were left, as it were, holding the baby. And while holding the baby, we hadn't had, plan to do, uh, hadn't had time to do any strategy. So we thought, well, given the lack of a strategy, let's just gather together with people who've heard about it, people who are interested, people who've come from different parts of the country. Let's worship and let's wait. Let's see what God does. Again, that was, I suppose, intuitive. It was also drawn from the book of Acts. And many of you joined us in that period. In fact, I, I'm looking around the room I can see people in this room who came at that time, and I know, it's a weird thing, I know, I, I, can, I know physically where I met some of you in the room. I know where I was standing, where you were standing. There are some people in this room, I know what you were wearing when I met you. That's weird, uh, I know, but that's how my mind works. Many of you joined us in this period, and you've, been, you've stuck with us ever since, and many of you have joined since. Some, spe- some people speak really fondly of that time. Uh, my, my memories are probably slightly different. I just remember feeling just a constant sense of what the heck are we doing? What's going on? But over the years, God has done some stunningly beautiful things in this place and through this community. We have, I can say with real confidence, not because anything Amy and I have done or our team have done or the staff has done or even you have done, We have seen amazing things. We've seen lives changed. I can point to a whole host of lives that have been radically changed. Changed to kind of the order of magnitude of the the guy in the video that we saw earlier on. And I think many of us would say in some way, maybe a small way, maybe a significant way, our lives have been changed by being part of this community. We have married people. We've baptized people. We have buried people who were dear to us. And I, I, think, I think even as I was looking around the room as we were worshipping, I know that many of you have been through thick and thin 
in this place. Some of you right now are going through really challenging times and you're part of this family. Here you are. And God has held you in this place and continues to hold you in this place. We've seen thousands of people, not all at once, (laughs) but we've seen thousands of people come through these doors and encounter Jesus. That's not nothing. It's something. And he's been kind to bless us with his presence again and again and again. Again, we've had a few weeks. I don't want to say weeks off, weeks away. And I was, I've just, I just this morning, just, oh man, I've missed this so much. I've missed being in this place. It's nice to have a bit of a suntan. Okay, you didn't notice. I'll try harder next year. Um, but I've missed, I've just missed being in this room, worshiping with you. It's actually possible to get a suntan if you sit there in this room through the greenhouse. He's been kind to bless us with his presence. I've wept so many times in this space, in this place with you as we've encountered Jesus together. So much has changed. It was freezing cold when we began. The physical atmosphere changed. You remember that? Chris is nodding. He's smiling. It was so cold. that You don't know how cold it was. It was colder than you can possibly imagine. Imagine how, imagine how cold you can, the most cold you've ever been, it was colder. There were a few of us, there was no, you couldn't even hear, you would, I was remembering about six feet from Joanne's guitar and not being able to hear it. The acoustics were awful. And yet, we've seen growth, we've seen a change in the physical atmosphere, we've seen a change in numbers. Many more people are gathered in, many more people call this home than ever did before. We've seen an intergenerational community form. We have the youngest children in this place and we have people who are in their 80s in this place. We have seen growth, even in the last couple of years, the most extraordinary, stunning growth in the racial and social diversity of this community. We celebrate that in many ways. We have people from across the nations as part of this family. We long to see more and more of that happening, but we have seen so much change. And yet, much has not changed. At the heart of all we've done, if you were to boil it down, has been a desire to focus on two things and two things alone. Firstly, the presence, the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's been part of, the central part of our vision as a church. We want to host the presence of God. That is, that's our thing. If that stops happening, let's pack up and go home. Let's leave it to somebody else. Because if we lose his presence, there's no point continuing. But also, the presence and people. Those are the two things that we will, those are the hills we'll die on, the presence and people. As we come into a new academic year, we want to remind ourselves of why we're here, why we're bothering. And really, for for us, this is a good reminder, but hopefully for you, this will be encouraging. I hope this will be inspiring. I also hope this will clarify your purpose and why you are here. Simon Sinek said, didn't he, start with why. Should we start with why? Before we get to vision, so we remind ourselves our why. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the why. The why for the church is always, must always be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are many Christians, I think, who live their whole Christian lives confused on this point. If you ask many Christians to define the gospel, I think many would struggle. And here it is, plain as day. Jesus says the gospel, the words used there in this translation are the good news, but that, that's the same word, uh, really comes from the word the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. Let's say that together. The kingdom of God has come near. That's the gospel. If somebody says, what's the gospel? That's your answer. The gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, I understand that needs a little bit of unpacking because that's a technical term. That's a term taken from God's people throughout biblical history, which was loaded with meaning. Thousands of years, by the time Jesus picks up this term, it had thousands of years of meaning attached to it. Simply put, though, we could say the kingdom of God is the rule 
and the reign of God. It is God's rule and God's reign. We might say if we think of the kingdom, because we live in a kingdom, don't we? The United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Irish. Or Northern Ireland, let's not forget the Northern Irish. We live in a kingdom. We understand that the kingdom speaks of the territory, the domain, if you like, in which our monarch, at least to some degree, has authority. His rule, his reign, maybe not effectively, but at least in principle, is done. That's what a kingdom is. And so the kingdom of God is the territory, the domain, the space. But it's actually not just spatial. It it is spatial, but it speaks also of rule of government. It is the space or the place in which God's will is done. That's why the kingdom prayer goes, your kingdom come... And the next line is what's known as a parallelism. It interprets the first line, your will be done. So for his kingdom to come means for his will to be done. That's what the kingdom is. And so Dallas Willard, a a philosopher actually uh, who died a few years ago, said this, the kingdom of God, and I put this on a slide, so you can read it with me, is the range of God's effective Will. Now listen to that. The range, that speaks of territory or, or reach, if you like, but God's effective will. So wh- whereas we might say, and this is no offense to King Charles, I'm, I'm a fan, I'm a, I'm a fan, but we might say his, his effective will probably doesn't go that far in, in his territory. There isn't actually that much, no offense King Charles, if, if you're watching, His effective will probably doesn't go all that far, but the kingdom of God speaks of the range of God's effective will, where what God wants done is done. Everything that obeys those principles, that is the kingdom principles, whether by nature or by choice, is within his kingdom. So when Jesus comes to proclaim the kingdom, what he's saying is that the rule of, of, of God, the reign of God, the, the reach of God's effective will is now at hand. The time has come, he says, the waiting, so we might interpret that, say the waiting is over. And the waiting speaks of the waiting that God's people had done throughout generations, 400 years since the, pro, the last prophet had stopped speaking about God's rule and God's reign. Jesus comes and says, the the waiting is over. I have come, not just to speak about the kingdom, to bring the kingdom. That's what the kingdom of God is. And Jesus is is not just a stunning preacher. The temptation as a preacher is always, if if you're able, to preach a good game. Now, (laughs) we have our days where we're able to preach a good game, but the real trick is not to just to preach, but also to, to practice what you're preaching. Now, what makes Jesus such a stunning communicator, what makes him a prophet, what made him the son of God, is not just that he could speak a good game, but he was able to demonstrate what he spoke of. He spoke about the kingdom of God, and he demonstrated the kingdom of God. And that's why no sooner had Jesus finished speaking about the gospel, which is the availability of God's kingdom, the range of his effective will, he begins to demonstrate it. And again, we don't have time to do this right now. This is a whole sermon series in and of itself. But Jesus calls disciples. And then he drives out an impure spirit. This is all from Mark's gospel. Then he heals a whole host of people in the synagogue. Then he goes away to pray. Then he heals a man with leprosy. Then he forgives the paralyzed man. Extraordinary. The the man who's lowered down through the roof. You know that one where they break and enter into the roof. Man's lowered down. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders say, you can't do that. We're not in the temple. That's where sins are forgiven. Jesus says, just so you know I can do that, watch me do this. I say to you, man, get up and walk. So it's it's amazing. And the whole way through the gospel, what we're seeing is an unpacking of that teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what it means for the kingdom of God. It means for God's will, God's way to be brought to bear. It means for justice to roll down like a river. It means righteousness like a never failing stream. That's what the kingdom is. The gospel is the story of what happens when God became king. And so Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom has come near, the waiting is over, this rule, this reign is freely available, it's no longer out of reach, 
It's now possible to live under the rule and reign of God. Folks, you need to understand this today. If Jesus means anything to the world today, it is that his kingdom is available. This is not just an outdated religious concept. This is not just a piece of doctrine that you can repeat to yourselves every morning, that there are worse things you could do every morning. Scrolling your phone would be a worse thing you could do every morning. You could begin by saying, as you wake up, the kingdom of God is at hand. That would be a good start to the day. But that isn't all it is. It is a lived reality, a lived experience as the phrase goes. And what that means is that the gospel is that it is not necessarily, it's not necessary to do life on your own. To live life as if the kingdom of God is not available. It is possible for you and for me to live under the government of God. Under the rulership of God here and now in Nottingham, and to see his rule and his reign extended through us, that is the, that's the, that's the gig, that's the deal, that's the thing, that's the gospel. And Jesus says, for those who want to play their part in that, repent and believe. In other words, he's saying, as I said to my children while we were on holiday, we were walking through Mark's gospel together. I said, repent means really this. Stop whatever else you're doing. And believe means put your trust in this message. And also, as I said to my children, the kingdom always has a community. Uh, again, this is another survey for another time. I haven't written this one on the notes, but let me just say for now, because we are going to explore this in this next term. There is no, God never imagined kingdom to be a personal pursuit. It's always a communal thing. Kingdom and church are hand and glove together. And so that is our why. The kingdom of God is the why. It's always the why of the church. There is no other reason for the church to exist other than the fact that the kingdom of God is freely available. We become, we are in our essence a community of the kingdom. An outpost. I love what uh, theologian Stanley Halvar says. He says, we're a colony of the kingdom in a world going to hell. We're a colony, an outpost. Just as uh, Philippi in the, in the ancient uh, Near East was a colony of Rome. It was like a little version of Rome. And it was meant to do the things Rome did and behave. People in uh, Philippi were meant to behave the way that people did in Rome. So we as the church are supposed to behave in the midst of the world as kingdom people. That's the church. That's what we're here for. That's the vision of any church. That is the vision. The only, uh, here, I'm going to make a declaration on behalf of every church in history, which I know is a, is a significant overreach. And with a bishop coming next week, I should be very careful, but I'm just going to do it. I'm going to say this is the only appropriate vision for any church in all history. Now, there's many different ways we can describe that and articulate that. Our particular ways to say the church on Father's City Alive, great. But the kingdom of God is the why of the church. Because the kingdom of God is the message that Jesus carries. It's the message that surrounds Jesus. So our vision is to be a community of the kingdom. Now this last year and here, I'm going to just focus on a a seasonal vision. A specific vision that we've been carrying over this last year. I'm going to remind you of what we said last year. Because I know that not every one of you will remember. I know that there probably are, are zero people in this room that will remember exactly what we said last year because I had to remind myself as well. Last year we spoke about the sense that we felt we were at base camp. We felt that we were beginning a new phase in the journey that we had as a church. And we spoke about uh, this kind of journey of climbing into new territory, unknown territory. And we laid out three key emphases, three areas where we felt the Spirit of God was saying that we were to focus our energy on our efforts, not at the exclusion of others, but with a specific emphasis on these. And we talked about the desire to see the continued personal renewal, to push in for personal renewal. And we encouraged you, and we continue to encourage you to be brave and courageous in your faith. As you seek after what God has for you. We're just praying before the service. I was so encouraged by Tony. Tony Bray, who was just praying. He's uh, just saying, Lord, I know there's more for me. I don't know how many years Tony's been following Jesus. He's, he's counting now in decades and not in years. I don't think he'd mind me saying that. <laughs> I think that was Tony sniggering just there. 
Amen. And, he, and he's saying, Lord, I know there's more for me. I'm not content. Yeah, John Wimby used to say, I'm pleased, but I'm not content. We want to continue to encourage you. We encouraged you last year. Keep going. There's more. There's more still. In the highs and the lows, in the valleys and the mountaintops, there's more of God to be experienced. We've asked you. We said, look, let's push in for personal renewal. Secondly, we talked about our desire to see the renewal of emerging generations, of the emerging generation of kids, of youth, the students, of people who are coming up in faith. My mentor, Don, used to say, Johnny, the church is only ever one generation away from extinction. Yeah, one of, the, one of the real tragedies, I think, in the church in our age is that we have underemphasized passing the faith on. Yeah, I, this, is, even this, this, is, this irritates me so much, I can barely contain my zeal as even I prepare to say this to you. But when you hear people say, oh, you know, they've grown up with maybe a faith, maybe they didn't have a faith of them, for themselves, and they say, I'm just going to let my child choose what to believe. And I think to myself, that what irritates me about that so much is you've got to understand that your child lives in a religious environment. The religion of choice is secularism. And if you don't positively disciple your child in the way of faith, that is the default option. They will be discipled into something. As Bob Dylan says, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, you've got to serve somebody. We can no longer expect society to disciple our children in some vaguely Christian way. Christendom's over, folks. It's for the church to disciple its own children. We spoke about the urgent need to do that. That is a message burning in my bones. And we talked about the renewal of the church, renewal of churches. I better calm down, I'm losing my voice. I've lost my practice, I've not been doing this for a few weeks. You know, Bishop Paul's going to speak about much of this next week, and I will leave him freedom to speak about his vision, the diocesan vision, and, and our part in that uh, next week. But we said that we feel that it, it is on us to do our best to raise up leaders and to send leaders out with disciples into new church environments to replant churches and to see the church restored Uh, Bishop Paul, again, not to steal his thunder, but he often talks about rebuilding within the ruins. And that's been such a helpful image for me and for Amy as we continue to do our best to see the restoration, the renewal of the church. We're committed to that. And God has been good to us. This last year, we have seen countless stories of lives impacted, of personal renewal. You will have your story. You will know somebody else who has a story. Unfortunately, I can't share all of those stories. But I remember, as many of you will who were there, the Sunday morning at our weekend away. Remember back to February? Some of you were there. You can watch it online if you weren't there. Just hearing the, the succession of testimonies. People saying, God has done this in my life. God has done that in my life. In some of the most moving and difficult, traumatic experiences, some just experiences of abounding and abundant joy. It was amazing to see that, very moving. And the goodness of God, God has been so good to us. And maybe you have your own story. Just take 10 seconds now. Bless the Lord, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that's within me, praise his holy name. Blessed Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. Let's just think 10 seconds on his benefits. He's been good to us. Personal renewal, we spoke about the renewal of emerging generations. Here's just a few things that God has done amongst emerging generations. You know, last year, uh, it was common for us, at the beginning of the year, to see about 20 young people attending on Sunday morning regularly. That is well above the national average for Church of England churches. I don't know what the national average is, but I'm very confident it's well above. Last, the last Sunday, as many of you know, we've, uh, we've joined with St. Andrews, and one of the beautiful benefits, uh, synergies of being able to do that, is our youth now meet in St. Andrews, and, and many of the St. Andrews congregation have come to meet with us here become one church. And on the last Sunday before the summer, we had 65 young people. 
gathering in that place. 20 to 65 on Sundays in a year. And much of this growth is not, from ki- is not of kids whose parents come here. Many of those children are not churched children. Many of them have come because their friends have invited them. Last year, we took 50 young people away for our church, our youth weekend away, I should say. None of, none of us are allowed except the youth. And this year, we expect to take 100 We've been running. I say we, no, I've, had, I've had no part of any of this, but I, it's, it's nice. We have done this. We as a family, have, we all have our, have our blessing, I think, to share in this. We've hosted a monthly prayer and worship night for young people. You know, the story goes in lots of churches that in order to attract young people, what you've got to do is dumb down the God stuff. And we've basically said, I'm not in, we're not interested in doing that. We're going to turn up the God stuff. And actually what we found is that young people, who knew, have a profound spiritual hunger. So we've run this uh, night called Fuel Monthly, and we've invited other churches to bring their young people, not because we want to steal other churches' young people, because we want to bless other churches who maybe don't have the resource or the time or the leaders to run it. So we now see more than 10 churches represented every single time that we run Fuel, and that gathering has grown from 30 young people to around 150 in one year. That's good news. That's the kingdom. That's the gospel of the kingdom. We've seen uh, more than 10 young people, I was told between 10 and 10 and 20, uh, becoming Christians this year. Our youth are inviting people. I've told some of you this story, but one of our community, one of our young people, invited their friend at school to come to church. It was fuel that night. And their friend said, yeah, great, I'll come. Now, uh, the guy part of our congregation didn't think their friend meant he would come that night. But he did come that night, except he couldn't get a lift to church, and he lives in Keyworth, which is about three and a half miles away, I think. So he walked to church, three and a half miles to come to church. It was fuel. Everyone was a bit concerned. It was kind of the God thing. It wasn't just handing out sweets and all that other good stuff and everything. It was really going for the God thing, and he loved it. He loved it so much. He said, when, he, when I walked home from church that, that day, that evening, because he walked back to Keyworth... He said, it's the first time in months I'd had a smile on my face. He came again on Sunday. He heard this guy preach and somehow got something from from it and gave his life to Jesus that very day. He's continued to come, and one of our youth leaders now begun to meet with him at Punch Coffee, great coffee over there, by the way, and mentor him. What an amazing story. I heard a story, and I don't know the detail on this one, so I'm going to share it knowing that I don't know everything about it, but I heard this story of a girl who arrived in our church in the last few weeks. Mari knows, in fact, so go and find Mari. I think she's the one with the detail. But my understanding is that she came to faith in her room while reading the King James Bible on an app. And she had to had to use, I guess, the internet to translate what the King James Bible words meant. <laughs> and so she did, and she came to faith. She went to a local church, a church in Daybrook, where many of you know Jack Bull. She leads that church. She, and she said, look, I need you to baptize me. And Jack, uh, because they don't have any young people there yet, Jack said, you need to go to Trinity. There's some young people just like you. So she came here and has begun to attend church here. Just a stunning vision of unity. In the church, a great example of what God is doing. Jesus is calling young people in their rooms at home. He is, do you know he's still using the King James Bible? I'm not. But he is. Don't even have time to talk to you about the Orchard Youth. You know, this year at the Orchards, 2,000 women signed on for the Orchard this year. If you've not got a ticket, now is the time. Do you know that they're running a youth gathering in the Orchard? Amy's got a real problem because she says none of the team, the Orchard team, want to go to the Orchard women thing anymore. They all want to serve in the Orchard youth. What about kids? We regularly deceased between 60 and 70 kids, on average, sometimes more than that, downstairs. That's between the ages of 2 and 10. We also have usually another 15 or so under 2s if you're downstairs in the front space, under 2s if you can hear this, bless you. You know, we have so many kids that unfortunately we're regularly having to turn children away. We start running a kids' hangout on Thursday nights to mirror what happens in uh, youth. 
And we have seen, apparently, that grow, that's grown from about five to about 14 children attending average. Uh, six of those kids, on average, are non-church kids. And they come because they're friends. Kids under 10 years of age are inviting them to come. Uh, Tots happens on Thursday mornings. It's grown. There's about 15 families that are core to that now, 10 of whom are non-church families, and five of which have now begun to come to church on Sunday. Uh, Kate and the team are engaging with 17 different parents on WhatsApp to work through how to engage in discipleship in their family. We ran our first football holiday club, and we saw lots of kids from the local area come, and many, or a number, came to faith. On students, as quickly, uh, our student ministry in the last year engaged with about 100 students. More specifically, we see around 50 students gathering weekly here in this space, regularly, for students' nights. We launched six new student groups this year, and they meet in student homes all across the city, led by students, with a similar number of 50 connected with those. Multiple students have come to faith in this last year, all made a serious recommittal to following Jesus. Maybe something like seven or eight, I was told. We've had three student baptisms. There's a real culture of invitation among our students. Hannah, one of our student workers, reckons that about half of our students regularly invite their friends to come to church. We've had nights of prayer for students. Some of you have been, but many of our students have been. They run from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. That's time when you should be asleep. (laughs) Unless you're working night shifts, but around 20 of our students have come to those twice a term. Over 20 students were at our graduate celebration. At least seven of those are going on to do the diocesan internship this year. What about churches? What about the renewal of the church? That's the renewal of emerging generations. That's exciting, isn't it? That's good fruit. That's the kingdom. That's good news. What about churches? Well, a couple of years ago, we planted some leaders, 18 months ago, actually. George and Katie White with a team. A number of people came from this community to Wilford. The parishes, as I say to George. And in that time, that community has grown from a regular worshiping community of around 25 to around 100. They've run alpha courses in the church. They've run them in secondary schools. They've run them in homes. They've seen people come to faith and return to faith on every alpha course they've run. They, regularly, they see roughly 100 people respond to the gospel in the local church secondary school every term. Just let that settle in. Their kids' church and tots ministry is growing. Over the summer, they hosted a space for tots and kids, and 120 have been coming to that. It's an impact in the community. This year, just just get this, this year they are launching a new after-school service, a gathering. They're planting, let's put this in kind of common parlance, they're planting a church in the local primary school in September, that's this month, and they're planning another one in the secondary school in the next year. Yes, you heard that right. A church that we helped send leaders to, to to re-energize, to graft into, is planting two churches in the next year, in local schools. That's that's West Wilford. What's happening in Lady Bay, where Jonathan, Christina, Mole are leading? I'll quote you. Over over the past two years, we've seen hope. The hope we've seen hope. Sorry, that the light of Christ can shine brightly in the heart of the community, where before the church community was shrinking and the light was flickering out. People are experiencing the presence of God as they come into church, often commenting on what they don't have words for. People, presence, people, presence, people, presence. Jonathan says, in 2021, there were 11 people on a Sunday and no children. Now we regularly have 100 plus with kids' church of 20 plus. Many stories of people new to church who had some Christian input, however small, e.g. a grandmother's night prayers when young, reconnecting with church and God. This is, this is, this is my favorite stat. It doesn't have to be yours. You can choose another one. A highlight of five adult baptisms this year in June, which we think is the first adult baptisms in the church's 110-year history. Our prayer for this year is to go deeper in prayer and worship, people and presence. 
and obedience and to release new leaders into their giftings. And for the connections with the local primary school, the foot in the door, as it were, to result in the door to open wide. This is to say nothing of our home space ministry meeting on our Wednesdays where 80 or so people gather every single Wednesday for food, to have conversation, to play games, to be taught English. Uh, This isn't to say anything of our connect group ministry, our groups ministry, which meets all over the city. Many of you lead those groups. This is saying nothing of any of that, of worship, of all the other stuff that's going on. This is to say nothing of the real, the central ministry of the church, which is what you do in your life, day in and day out. But together we are seeing the kingdom of God come, and yet in the kingdom of God there is always more. Three things to lean into this year in the more. And then we're going to take communion. Firstly, there is more opportunity now than ever before. We're out of space. We're out of space. We're out of space up here. It's not uncommon to be seeing people looking for seats a place to sit. We regularly see anything between 450 and 550 people come through the doors on a Sunday now. And so we have made the decision uh, prayerfully, actually over many years, this is not just something we've been thinking about for months, we almost did this right before COVID hit, and then slowed down and then have come and gone on this one for a little while. But we're going to start a second morning gathering, moving our weekly, our Sunday gatherings to three. We're going to have a 9 o'clock gathering, an 11 o'clock gathering, and stay with our evening gathering at 6.30. We'll have kids' gatherings at both morning services, and we'll have more details to follow on that. I think we feel the pinch already upstairs, but if we are turning children away downstairs, we have to do something about that. We have to do something about that. We can't allow that situation, and this is the best thing that we know how to do. That second morning, that first morning uh, gathering will be slightly different, more detail on that. We have sent leaders. This is all about more opportunity. We've sent leaders, and we're about to send a whole set of other leaders to St. Saviour's, where Joe will be licensed tomorrow. (laughs) Along with John, and actually also myself. That's another story for another time, but we will... We're going to be licensed there. That's that's a church that's beginning to take shape. I had a conversation with Kate Fear, or I overheard a conversation with Kate Fear, who leads our kids' group. She said, I'm so excited. She may not have used these exact words. I'm so excited. Five of my core team are going to Wilford. Sorry, to the Meadows. Praise God. Isn't that amazing? But that's more opportunity for us who are staying. If any of you are staying, please get involved. In our kids' ministry, this is the heart of what God is doing in this church. What an opportunity. There is more opportunity than ever before in this place to step into what God is doing, as well as opportunity to join with what God is going to be doing in the meadows as well. Uh, Many of you know Anna Clark, who's joined us in the last few months. She's joined us with a vision to start a church, uh, meeting and particularly reaching students in All Saints, just the other side of the Arboretum. We are giving more cash away than ever before, resourcing more, not just in church planting, but in doing all this kid stuff and everything else that we do, in growing beyond this space. We have another building, as you know. We are part of the church now with St. Andrews, and there is increased resource attached to all that we are doing. This is not a cost-free exercise. We've grown well beyond this space, and God has more. And with that, we need more financial resource required to fund the expansion in the kingdom that we're seeing. Jesus, or God says in one of the Psalms, 90-something, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. God has the resource, but God places that resource within us. And it is for us to release that resource for the kingdom. And we are going to, I do this, I declare to you now, this is the moment for that. But we are going to speak more about this in the coming weeks as well. Secondly, more opportunity. Secondly, Amy's just going to speak to us quickly on what it means to be more defiant. I need that. Yes, I get the defiant. You're going to say that. I'll be really quick because I know we have uh, communion as well. Um, but yeah, I uh, was, I've been doing a bit of a study in um, judges over the last uh, couple of months, which is, you know, a roller coaster of a book, isn't it? 
Um, and uh, I was reading um, just the injustice after injustice after injustice through the book. And there was one particular, if you're familiar, uh, there's a particular injustice um, that happens in the book. And as I was reading it, um, I found myself um, really angry, like really angry at the injustice. Um, and uh, and I, as I was um, reading it, uh, the, the whisper of the Holy Spirit came into my mind. And it was Romans 12 that says, hate what is evil. Um, and, uh, and I it just sort of struck me that actually what I was feeling was 100% accurate. It was accurate to hate the injustice that I was reading. And, uh, and, it, and I, um, I guess I was made aware of how easy it is for the enemy to make us so passive when it comes to evil that actually we just even, we don't even see it anymore. We become so immune to it. And yet Paul is saying in Romans, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, hate what is evil. And I feel like there's, there's this defiance, um, I guess, certainly stirring up in me, but also I feel that um, across the board. I feel like there's a, there's a defiance of hating what is evil. And, uh, and the reason why the enemy wants to keep us, um, I think, wants to keep us passive and blinkered is because when we hate what is evil, it leads us to intercession, doesn't it? It leads us, it creates a, a war cry within us. It creates the warfare, uh, the need for God's power to intervene. And he, he doesn't want any of that. Um, and so we need to step into that. Anyway, over the summer, um, I was uh, reading, um, again, the, the beautiful story of David and Goliath that we can't, uh, I can't go into in, uh, in detail right now. But again, you know, we've read the story. We sing the, we sing the slingshot song, right? Um, and I'm sure many of you are very familiar. Um, and I was actually even thinking, because it was in my Bible in year, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I know this story. I was going to sort of skip it, you know. And, uh, and I was like, no, I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to read it really thoroughly. And, uh, and for those that don't know, basically there's this moment where David, a young shepherd boy, is, um, is basically um, going to go and fight this um, champion of the Philistines, this massive giant guy called Goliath. And, um, and, uh, and as he is going to, uh, to, to sort of ha- having this conversation about whether he can go and, and fight this giant, um, there's this beautiful line uh, where David says to Saul, the king, he says, who is this? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is he? Who is he that should defy the armies of the living God? And the sass in me was like on fire. Because, yeah, they're talking about, you know, they're talking about the giant. But who is he? Who is the evil one? Who is the evil one in our city, in our minds, in our hearts, to defy the living God, the armies of the living God, which is you and I. We are the armies of the living God. And, uh, and I just, I guess I, I, I want to say to us this year that I feel that there is an increased defiance in his church, not just here, but across this country, to actually stand up to say, who is he to defy the armies of the living God? That it is time to take ground, to take the authority which is given to us in Jesus Christ, to actually go and push back darkness. And I feel, you know, we've been here for um, seven years, and he's done a consecration. He is raising up a weak army, a surrendered army of dependent followers of Jesus. But it's now time, I really feel it is now time to get out in the authority that we carry in Jesus to see breakthrough and the pushing back of darkness in a way that I believe we have never seen before. And I think it's going to take courage and confidence, but it first starts with us hating what is evil. Be stirred by it. Allow your emotions to be moved by it. Lead you to intercession and to warfare and to to cry out for God for his intervention. And so, yes, a defiance in his people. Now is the time the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then finally, just before we take communion together, uh, the third thing, more opportunity, more defiance, but also more urgency. We had the, the gift of being away as a family, and we were uh, 
very fortunate, very blessed to be on a Greek island. And as I was sitting down one morning to pray outside, overlooking this beautiful view, as Amy and I had the opportunity to do every morning. I was up on this one morning before Amy, which didn't happen really very much as we were away. I got outside and I, I saw uh, something which uh, mystified and terrified me in equal measure. That was that the whole valley over which we were looking was filled with smoke. Now, I, I knew, as others had knew, knew that earlier on this summer there had been a whole host of fires, and I began in that moment to feel terror and a sense of profound urgency. There was that sense in my mind, what am I going to do? And in what order? If there's a fire on this island, this, by the way, was the, the greenest island of all the Greek islands, and it was very hot and very dry. What am I going to do? What do we do with the kids? Where do we get to? Where do we need to drive to? How do we, do we take any of our stuff? When do we do it? I need to find out what's going on. Do I get, I'm not on social media. Do I get on Twitter? I can't get on Twitter. Do I go and see the people at the supermarket? All this stuff. And uh, I wrote in my journal... Uh, this is perhaps the only time you're ever going to read in my journal. At least, at least I hope so. Uh, woke up this a.m. to smoke in the air. In hindsight, I saw the first signs of it yesterday evening, and the sky was red, or the moon was. I am on high alert. I can't see any fires here at the moment, but I can smell them. I also just heard some, some sort of bell ring across the water in the town, which seems especially sleepier today. Has everyone else left? Urgency is an interesting thing. The church in the West, myself above all, lacks it. I know I need it. Help me, Lord. I pray that you may baptize me in a new urgency. I also pray more imminently that you would assist those putting out the fires. I pray that the wind would cease too. And then I wrote on a a page a bit later, when I'd found out that that was smoke from the mainland and not from our island. Father, fill me with such a prophetic urgency once again. Give me such an unction once more. I see that I've lost much of the zeal that I once had, Lord. Return it to me. Fill me again with your spirit for prophetic messages. It's time. And this morning, the clear message is one of urgency. What would it take for me to live with an appropriate sense of urgency? The days are short. Evil is rife. The kingdom has come, but the battle is all about us. Lord, this is an emergency. This is an emergency, and an emergency requires urgency. There is an opportunity now to continue to partner with Jesus for his kingdom. In this city at this time, there is so much opportunity. We call you to play a part. There is a need for defiance, and there's a need for urgency. Shall we pray?